This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Film Network Ireland Rap Chat Podcast. Uh, today I'm delighted to welcome Taro Callaghan uh, to the podcast. She is a director and uh, she recently directed the short uh, documentary Call Me Mommy, which uh, recently screened at Sundance Film Festival, one of the first Irish shorts in a long time to do that. And then it also won Best Short Documentary at Galway Film Fla last year. It's, we have a lot to talk about and a lot of topics to cover. Uh, Tara graduated from IDT in 2018, so the last five years have been jam-packed and we cover a lot of this so the work that she did through college and then uh, what she's done over the last few years working with motherland and what's basically everything she did to bring her to where she is today and there's also a lot of other topics covered like the importance of marketing and getting your film out there and getting people to see the work that you're doing a bit about burnout as well that's also a bit of a challenge in this industry when we're always pushed to work harder and faster and keep on top of things that can that's always a bit of a risk um but mostly just the importance of persistence and always working through and always having your vision and doing everything you can to get it done it's a very inspiring conversation i think anyway and she's a, had an amazing journey over the last couple of years so uh, without any more further ado uh our conversation with Tara O'Callaghan. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio uh, today. We've uh, we've known each other quite a while. We went to college together and stuff. And now, uh, recently, you had your short film, Call Me Mommy, at Sundance. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Luke. Yeah, no, delighted you could make it in. Um, I think it would be really... Inter- There's a lot of different topics that I think we can and should try and cover if we can. But um, something I'd be really interested to know is... From we we graduated from college only about five years or so ago now. Five years already. I think so. Twenty eighteen. Wow. So feels like about a year ago. It really does. Yeah. Just get like yesterday. Flown. I know. Time flies when you're stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something I've always heard about like memories or like your if you if your life is made up of all these unique memories, but then if every day is so filled and packed and different it, I think, feel like your measure of time gets a bit warped or something it does and I feel like film does that for you very well things move so fast I can't believe yeah. it's March already that's another thing that's bizarre I feel like we that's only started the year a couple of days ago yeah I'm like barely starting any New Year's resolutions they're still working out what the resolutions are and I, yeah I've been saying Happy New Year to people and like I very recently yeah and I keep telling myself that you know that the healthy eating starts tomorrow and tomorrow hasn't come yet so 
Hopefully that starts soon. Yeah, it's uh, uh, well, we we work on these things. Um, exactly. But yeah, I, well, I guess to bring it back to the very beginning, where what brought about your first interest in filmmaking, and what sort of brought you to um, doing the film course in IDT? Wow. Well, you know what? My mother was always a massive cinephile. She's like, you know, biggest inspiration in my life. We would always, you know, be up late watching films. We'd always, she always bring me to the cinema. Her own father was a massive cinephile as well. So she really passed down that love of cinema to me. And I think where it really kind of started for me was in my transition year in, in, in school. I went to a great secondary school called Mount Temple, just at the end of, uh, of Griffith Avenue. And uh, they had like a... They had a film course in the in the transition year, and I remember I wasn't always the best at school. It wasn't my strong point in being studious. I never thought I was stupid, but it was kind of rote learning. Never, I never really took to it. And then I remember doing this film course when I was I don't know fifteen, sixteen, and my script got picked. And it was that kind of feeling of oh my god, maybe I can you know do this thing. And I remember feeling so excited and inspired by all like the the, the stuff that was going on in transition year at the time because Mount Temple it was a very like artistic, very creative school, which was great. So I really threw myself into that. And then just from there, I started developing a portfolio, which brought me to IDT. And yeah, I went, I did four years um, in IDT in the National Film School, which to be honest, I don't think I was very ready for at the time. I remember just doing the leave and certain thinking, right, I'll have a break now for a year or two. So I did, I took it very easy for the first, like, you know, two, two years, maybe two and a half years of IDT. Um, you know, um, it was, I was very young starting, looking back, I kind of, uh, not that I wish took it more seriously, but I think I was just um, had a very young mindset. And then I remember when fourth year came, we got a chance to do the, gra- the grad film. That was very exciting because for me, I'm, I'm very much a doer. I love doing things. And, you know, once we kind of got the opportunity to spend a whole year on just making a film, I was like, OK, you know, let's go. This is exciting. And I remember thinking, I remember actually it was the summer before fourth year. Me and my mother went to Galway. Brilliant. She brought me. We went on a whim together, like a girl's trip. And um I was so just like blown away and captivated by all the films at the flat that I was just thinking, oh my God, like I, I want to be here. I want to be with these people. The people excited me. The films excited me. The buzz. It was an energy that I wanted to be part of. So I remember thinking, oh my God, like if I can get my grad film into Galway, like maybe I can do this thing called filmmaking. And luckily enough, my grad film got into Galway. It was It was in the programme. Uh, Eve Collins, the, the, the programmer, accepted it in who's, who's brilliant there in Galway and I remembered that uh, it's it's so funny you all remember your first moments I'll never forget my producer uh, Jack Cowick on that grad film ringing me and telling me we got into Galway and it just burst into tears it was the best experience ever so from doing that grad film it just kind of you know kick-started all the kind of the, the rest of the bits that I ended up doing very good yeah no I feel like it was well from what I remember it seemed like nearly a switch went in your brain or something <laughs> and suddenly you're just fully go from there and I'm, then i'm as shocked as you were <laughs> i'm not shocked I'm, you know but, <laughs> you're welcome um but then you started working with mother or was it you started doing music videos then from outside out of college or yes yeah, so it was kind of funny like i wasn't fully satisfied with my grad film i feel like you know the grad film was gave me s- such a lovely taste of kind of like what to expect of filmmaking I remember just not being very satisfied with the end product but I couldn't really put my finger on what that was for me. I was like, it's not the way I want it to be, but what is that, you know? So I was kind of like, right, you know, this, I think I've a lot more to kind of learn here. Um, and for me, it was like, I really wanted to 
figure out my own voice, my own style, what I wanted to do. And I remember it was the summer after I did my grad film. And I just, you know, I, at the time, short films long form to me. It took a year to do. It was quite long. And I wanted to do something that was short form that I could put my own stamp on. And I became absolutely infatuated with music videos. And I think that was the massive change for me in my career, in my kind of progression as a director, because I was looking at kids my own age who were doing music videos. I mean, I remember I was finding there was Karina Evans, there was Anton Tammy, there was Brother, some amazing uh, music video directors who were doing some really cool stuff for rappers out there. And I was blown away by like the visual effects, the animation, everything that they were incorporating in their videos. And then I Googled them and I'm like, wait a minute, they're my age. And then that was so inspiring to me as a director. Because I think when you're in film school, you're looking at directors who are maybe like 40 or 50 sitting with a cigar, you know, old Hollywood. And you're learning with these old men who it doesn't, for you as a young woman to put yourself in that position, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel achievable at the time. But then when you're looking at filmmakers who are, you can see yourself in their shoes, that to me was what really excited me. So I kind of embarked on developing my style through music videos. Um, and that was so exciting. That was such an incredible experience because through doing those videos, I, I learned so much. I kind of, I, I did a lot with myself and my friends, you know, and a lot of people I met in IDT. IDT was so great for kind of connecting me with some really, really talented people. Um, and you know, we all kind of came together and made a few rap videos. And then I as well kind of learned how to edit through doing those videos as well. I, I was just doing a lot of wacky stuff that I loved seeing. And I was like, let me just try and put this in these videos. So that was the kind of, that was where I think my love for the craft really developed from doing those videos. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's such an important thing. And maybe one of the sort of takeaways is to, when you find your own voice, that really opens up a lot of things because then also when someone sees your work they know what they're they can see that you have a voice and there's a passion behind the work that you've done so then they would if they want to employ you they'll they'll know what they'll know what they're going to get and the quality and the energy that's going to go into it but that's also the question i hate the most as well i remember it was my like i think it was the, the final year exam in idt and one of my lecturers asked me what's your style what's your voice and I think it's a question you hate to get as a filmmaker, as a director. You're like, you know, I don't want to put myself in a bracket or anything. And it's something that I'm still trying to figure. Every time you kind of move on to do something different, you're you're constantly rethinking your identity or what you want to say, um, which is, you know, it can be it can be quite tough. But I guess it was just like me looking at what I liked and trying to recreate that in my own style was what I was trying to do. Okay. Yeah. No, I can understand that. And then, so then you. Then were you, so you work with uh, Motherland now and was, how did that relationship develop or come about? So I actually, when I graduated college, I ended up being a trainee AD on film sets. So I was, I was trainee ADing on commercials as well as doing music videos on the side. Commercials were great because, you know, films you're kind of committing to five weeks of a shoot. Whereas commercials, you've got a couple of days and you get a couple hundred quid, that'll tie you over. I was also doing a lot of, nightclub photography around Dublin so kind of those two things I was supporting myself while also kind of making uh, while also having that creative outlet of rap videos and I, I remember someone recommended me for a job on a on a on a motherland shoot and I was a trainee and somebody on that shoot who was working in-house at motherland recognized me from one of the videos I'd done and then they got me in for a week two weeks and I remember not wanting to leave I was like you know once I was in I was like I'm not 
Can I leave him here? We had a fight. <laughs> I was because I really love. I really admired Motherland as a company. I always, you know, loved the music videos they did, the directors they had, and you know, to be a part of them. I remember how exciting that was for me. And I was an editor and kind of a content creator, and then eventually, you know, became signed by them. Okay, cool. And then within the within the work that they were doing, so I know they do a lot of commercials, and then they do they do some other uh, content as well. But then you were. I think I remember chatting to you at some point and you it might have been over COVID. We were down on the canal and you said you were starting to try and do some work on a documentary. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I remember uh, we went, I went for dinner in your house, actually. Do you remember yeah, sitting at the fold-out table? Yeah. Across, I think it was Pasta Bolognese we had. Probably. I remember all your notebooks. I remember that very clearly. I remember saying to you, I'm starting a documentary with OnlyFans. I still actually remember coming to your house in Fisborough and telling you about this film. Because me and Swavik, a guy who was in our, our course, we went in a walk in a park and the idea just popped into my head on that walk. I still remember the time okay. I thought up with it, came up with it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, but at that time, it seemed like it might be a broader kind of project. Yeah. So if you talk me through a bit what the, let's say, the pre-production of the project was, even before it fully started to come together into the film that exists today. Yeah, sure. So the, the I mean, the pre-production, like for me, it was, I think pre-production, all of it was being bombarded by girls on OnlyFans on my Instagram, where I was just overwhelmed by, you know, because I think from being, you know, a nightclub photographer, you know, I knew a lot of girls in the scene who were kind of slowly trickling into this industry that was really taking off at COVID. And I just could not get over the amount of women I was seeing who were being so public about the about OnlyFans. That to me kind of struck me instantly because you know you had sex work online that was really kind of something that's always been in the internet but you you never saw it on the same level as women, you know, like producing their LinkedIn or their Instagram. It would be in their, you know, their bios of their social media. It would be very public and I think that's what struck me how public sex work was. And then it was just the pre-production was like you know, I had this idea and I think where the idea really for me like became strong was I wanted to see the film, but the film didn't exist. So I was like, I just have to make it. You know, that was kind of the, the, the good instinct was like, I want to know more about this topic. And that was the initial kind of draw to it. So I just started messaging as many women as I could on, on Instagram, seeing who could get a response from. OK, and then from there, then you. I, I guess, did you then do quite a few uh, interviews with different people or did you meet up with people or how how did it come down to then becoming more of a character study of one person? Yeah, so that summer following, I, I remember I got an in with one girl who kind of, you know, brought me into a lot of different group chats um, and, you know, private messaging groups of different sex workers and I just started driving all around Ireland whoever would get back to me I remember one girl told me she was in Sligo and I drove to Sligo in the middle of the night um I came back at two in the morning and you know I was just I was just going and talking to as many people as I could just to to hear their stories because I think you know what I kind of gained from these sex workers is that they were taking advantage a lot from journalists and people who would twist their stories or make them out to be money hungry so I was really trying to just build as many relationships as I could with these women and you know it was such an exciting part of the process because I was seeing parts of the country I never saw I was meeting women I never met before and it was so great to kind of chat and get their real stories because I didn't want to construct a story myself before 
you know, hearing things from their perspective and hearing the truth first. Because, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know anything about the pr- platform. I don't know their lived experiences. So it was so important for me to hear as many stories as I could before I began to craft, you know, whatever the narrative was. So, you know, originally in when I was still ignorant to what sex work was, I wanted it to be more of kind of a vox poppy, you know, you kind of had four girls framing a short doc, um, which was more about the platform. But then the more I got to know the women, the more, you know, work we did. Um, yes, yeah, so it, it was meant to be about four women and we set out to do that. So we shot with four women um, and I got to know them more and more and more. Um, they had some incredible stories. But then you kind of realise like, you know, you cannot really get into the depth of a subject in two three minutes you're, you're only kind of really scratching the surface of something um, and you know it's not to say the other stories weren't, weren't important but I remember what we did was you know when, we, when it got to the cutting room we put all there we had a cork board so we lined up we kind of took the main points of all the girls stories we colour coordinated all the stories in the cork board and I remember Sinead's story was on the board and I think it took up two or three lines and the other girls were a lot shorter I mean Sinead's you know she's um, you know mother she's lived a life so she had a lot more experiences but it was her story I think it stood out as being very unique um, and, and, and as well once we got to Sinead's story two or three documentaries about OnlyFans had already come out you know so it was very frustrating as well when you're doing a film and you're seeing other people in Ireland already coming out with documentaries and you're like oh are we too late did we miss a mark here so it was almost like we were very lucky to have pivoted it to Sinead's because it made it into something new again um, and, I, and I think if we kind of went in the direction of the four girls stories, it would have just kind of faded away to what everyone has kind of seen before. So, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that we made that decision. It's a tough one. Like, yeah, having to make those sort of calls. But back to the I think one thing that we can sometimes do with documentaries is we can spend the time to really try and tell the story as well as we can. Well, we're not always lucky enough to in that position but but it is a big difference to let's say if a journalist has quite a few stories they might need to deliver in a week or something Mm. it is great as a documentary filmmaker to be able to really invest in a subject and an area for sure and i agree with you but i also think we were also very lucky in the fact that we had no funding (laughs) you know so it was a totally self-funded project by motherland so we did we we had the luxury of taking as long as we wanted because we weren't tied to any sort of deadlines with you know uh you know screen ireland or anything like that we didn't have anyone anything we needed to meet so we had the luxury of time but again you know it is that kind of thing of like you can work on something forever sometimes but uh no i think that that really did kind of help us in in, in post okay yeah that's so while you were so how exactly did that work then was it when there was some downtime between other projects within motherland you'd be able to schedule some days work and how how did you manage that because you were working you know full-time as well within that yeah so i remember the summer so over the summer i i think we worked on the film for a couple months straight and that was very draining you know it was very exhausting but it was something that you know we were all very passionate about and it was a story we really believed in um and it you know it, it, we did kind of work on it a lot from a you know a passion project uh you know place but then it, it we started once the kind of we had shot everything it was kind of incorporated into working hours as you said you know once we weren't on commercials it was taken up and in you know certain days and that kind of ended up becoming a lot more manageable then okay i see 
And then something that I did notice with the film, uh, or well, maybe more, I'm bringing this around to basically how you did a great job marketing the film, even from before there was anything out, you know, lots of teasers, trailer. I th- I imagine when you filmed that uh, scene with Sinead and the fire and everything, you were definitely thinking this is <laughs> this is to get people's attention. And that seems to be something that I feel like a lot of filmmakers mightn't really give the or mightn't see the power of properly getting your film out or getting even just imagery or getting the name of your project out there that seems to be something that you you know thought about a lot it's something that i love it's and i think it it could possibly come from me starting out in music videos and that kind of world you know like you're kind of looking at different musicians and artists that you like and they're constant like people are constantly on social media teasing things small little videos and small things like constantly dropping different albums or trailers or music videos. There's all little teasers. And I just remember seeing, you know, an artist that I'd love and how excited I get, you know, over someone releasing something. And I was like, I want to do that for, you know, you know, myself as well. You know, I want to get excited about my own film. Um, and yeah, you know, as much as I love film and cinema and it is 100% an art form, I think as well, it, it is a business and that is something that I am conscious of as well. And, you know, I feel like now we also have to think of social media as another job. It's another part. Like I would use my Instagram more as a a portfolio of work as opposed to like a personal page at this stage because, you know, it's a great place to showcase your work and what you're about. But yeah, it was a conversation that was always happening behind the scenes. How could we promo it? How could we tease it? How could we put it out? and it's I think it's just a great way to build a bit of a buzz and an excitement around your film, you know. Um, and I remember we I think we I, I, I had like a phase, you know, I think I, I wrecked a lot of people's heads over this. But I had like a three tier phase, like throp of the trailers of the film. So, you know, I wanted to release something, you know, incredibly ambiguous. And then I tease a little bit more, a little bit more until we kind of dropped on districts and then released the info about uh, Krakow. That was a lot of fun. That was really a lot of fun. Okay, yeah, I've often, I feel like, yeah, Instagram is such an amazingly suitable tool for filmmakers to get their work out there. Like, you know, people would always talk about the importance of having a website and a portfolio space and everything. But in a lot of ways, Instagram is just incredibly accessible Mm. and it's easy to keep reminding people of your work and people will constantly keep seeing it if you just post some stories and post some a. posts then that are making the portfolio and they yeah and i think it's so important to remember you don't know who's looking at your instagram you don't know who's going to see it who's going to be a future collaborator future dop for you or a future editor you don't know who's seeing that who's going i saw your thing on instagram that was class that's exciting i think you know i'm not the biggest fan of instagram you know i think it's it's another job that's been tacked on to your job of already creating content as a filmmaker but you know if anything good comes from it is that it is that opportunity to you know be exposed to a wider group of filmmakers who you could you know work with you know as an animator or whoever else like it's it's and I think that's what's exciting for me you know that that those possibilities of collaboration yeah it it is a lot of this stuff does end up being rolled into our (laughs) rolled into our work and but then okay so you a finished the film the trailer was released and then it started going to film festivals and yeah mm. tell me a bit about that kind of experience 
It was a very scary kind of experience initially because, you know, the, the film is, we do show kind of explicit sexual content in the film at the start and at the end. And it was kind of like, we made a decision to keep it in, you know, but I think what we were very conscious of as well that, okay, you know, this is going to exclude us from a lot of film festivals, basically, because, you know, a lot of film festivals are family friendly and they're not going to show porn in their festivals, which is fair enough. So I was kind of very apprehensive. Are we going to get into any festivals at all? Are we kind of cutting ourselves off? But I'm quite happy I made that decision because, you know, I think it'd be a bit embarrassing as a as a filmmaker to make a film about sex work but being too afraid to show it wouldn't really be great so you know we were like whatever we put it in so you know you're always kind of holding your breath um with with the festivals we got a bunch of rejections straight away so your confidence is knock 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 we got crack out crack out was amazing we had an amazing reception i flew over for it um and that was the kind of first time seeing it on the big screen full audience super exciting and then we had galway which was unbelievable. I'll never forget having my name called there in the audience and having absolutely nothing prepared. Um, going up on stage. Because, uh, you know, you're, again, like you're getting a few knocks. So when you end up winning something like the Flav, and as well, it was quite emotional because, you know, I'm sat there and you're, you're, you win something like that. You remember the time when you went before you had a film and just thinking, I want to be here. And, like, you know, I think Galway is a festival or, you know, the Fla is... A festival that's always been, you know, quite close to my heart. So to win at a festival like that, that's so kind of personally important, was just, you know, your head's kind of spinning as you're standing up. Um, and it was just like I think I I I will never forget that moment. Honestly, it was great. And then, kind of Sundance came around, which was yeah even more amazing. Yeah, and um, how was Sundance? So I know you did travel uh over for that as well, and I know I've never been to uh Sundance myself. Like, is the I imagine it's quite different from Irish festivals. In can you give me some examples, maybe? Oh my God! Yeah, I don't. Honestly, it's like it's kind of. It's I don't even know where to begin. Sometimes when I talk about Sundance, it's a really it's an incredible community. I've never felt more looked after by a festival. Like, you know, they really care a lot about you know who you are, what you're doing, where you're going. They're so supportive. They're very inclusive, and you know their whole kind of mantra is supporting emerging filmmakers and giving a platform to kind of cultural issues that are happening right now. So it was not only exciting for me, but for Sinead to come over as well, because we had talked about, you know, what if we got into Sundance, you know, as uh, you know, because we were both delusional and the fact that it actually happened, we couldn't believe it. So I remember Sinead was driving around in taxis and lifts or in Uber, sorry, around Sundance and, taxi men would recognize her and offer her free lifts and i was so excited for her i was like this is amazing so she was getting chauffeured everywhere it was great and then you end up at like you know um you end up at the director's brunch and you're sitting around you know the directors and it's but it's it's a, it's such an inspiring place i have to say you're absolutely shattered and exhausted at the majority of the time because you're up you know really really high altitude minus 10 snow up to your head so it's 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 a it's a it's a real culture shock the whole experience but it's um no, it was it was incredible. Wow, yeah, it, it it did look, yeah, it looked like a great event, and so with Sinead, like she's in her work as a sex worker and being a a person on OnlyFans, it, it is quite a vulnerable position, really, to be in, and I think that's often sometimes that something that comes up with making documentaries you're often working with people that are on the 
peripheries of certain things or they're doing they're doing they're, they're living a life quite different to what most other people might live but then there's a bit of a duty of care that then kind of comes in as uh, filmmakers i guess as well and how how did you approach that with her um in terms of being like okay well you know this is the film we want to make so that, that's really interesting and i think that was also one of the things that drove us kind of pushed us into Sinead's direction not the main thing but definitely one of the things that made us focus the story on her because you know the other girls that we were shooting they were quite young they were just starting out um and i think as a especially as a documentary maker you don't want to take advantage of you know your subject you know you want to be quite open and honest and i think for me you know that's what always drew me to Sinead was her confidence she was so strong she was so sure of herself but also she'd done a lot of media interviews and things before the film so I knew she was well adjusted to this kind of environment she was well able to deal with it and I think for me it was quite important because we weren't just dealing with sex work we were dealing with her life her story her family her kids it was a lot I was she was really trusting me with a lot of her life um so you know I, I had a lot of great people around me in motherland who were kind of advising me as well on how to approach things because I'd never done just not want to say I'd never done a documentary before I trained as a drama director so I kind of woke up one day and said, I want to do a documentary. And then it kind of brought me here. Um, so it was great because Motherland are quite documentary focused. There was a lot of people who were, you know, I was able to go to and chat to and get advice. Um, you know, especially the executive producer, Ross Klein, would kind of say, you know, be open, be honest with her, include her, chat to her. So, you know, he did Love Yourself Today, a great documentary uh, feature. Um, so it was kind of great to have those people around me at the time um, who had experience in, in kind of dealing with people or subjects um, and you know I think he, he made a great point of saying like you know include her run things by her check things with her don't just kind of run off with things so I always made a point of like um, showing Sinead I, I remember showing Sinead the final cut you know because I wanted to get her blessing before we kind of completely picture locked her before we moved on to the stages but the last thing I wanted to do was see a story about her life for the first time in the cinema. I don't think that'd be fair. So I think, you know, it was just a constant, like, you know, open stream of dialogue between me and her. And we became very, very close. Like, I wasn't just seeing her. I wouldn't just show up on set with the camera and say, tell me about your life and your deepest secrets. You, you know what I mean? It was, like, so important that I was building a relationship with her throughout that process and we became very close like we still i was texting her today you know we talk all the time so it's it, it was great um in the end and she was so involved in the film as well i think that helped us a lot it wasn't like i was trying to pull stuff out of her she became very kind of inspired and she became very passionate about the film and it was you know she, she was basically part of the crew by the end of the film she was reminding us about clapping for sound and you know doing different things like that which was brilliant okay Brilliant. And I, I feel like really a lot of it comes down to, at least for myself, it's sort of showing respect to the people that you're working with, you're understanding. Yeah, you're, you're just respecting what they're for giving sure. and then trying to reciprocate as much as you can. Yeah, and I think, you know, there, with documentary and, and kind of dealing with subjects, for me, I think a lot of the, a, a lot of tough parts at the start came for me. A lot of people dropped out of the film very early on and it was really really hard as a filmmaker to be to try and constantly find inspiration when you have nobody attached to your project that was really really tough but also being understanding from your subject's point of view of why they're dropping out that was hard as well you know you can't really be mad at these women 
So it was, um, yeah, because, you know, sex workers have a lot of tough things that have to deal with in their life, a lot of things they come up against with journalists. Um, but, you know, I think having, just being respectful of them and their positions, it kind of, it worked out, for, you know, in the end, um, having, uh, it kind of ended up bringing us to Sinead. But, uh, you know, there was, there was definitely a lot of bumps in the road <laughs> along the way. Yeah, and I think the, I don't know if, failure is quite the right word for it, but the rejection is such a huge part of this industry and nearly a daily yeah. part of the work we do and do you have like ways of working through that is it just something happens you're just like okay i'm going to move on quickly to something else or how do you approach that because i feel like everyone's got different ways how do i approach failure oh my god maybe rejection is a better rejection, word yeah jesus i mean i guess persistence just keep on pushing that was for me it was like i remember at certain points you know i was kind of saying there a minute ago that we had nobody attached to the project which was terrifying you know you kind of go and you pitch a film sounds great with all these people attached to it three months down the line every single person's dropped out so i remember just constantly trying to find a cycle of new women and i think that was it for me was just not give i, w I couldn't quit you know i was so excited to actually do a first film you know after college and do something and it was great i personally just i don't know there was just something in me i couldn't let it die um and yeah i was just i i, I think I, it was great as well having instagram i was always just trying to hit up new women i was always trying to um kind of get people on the back burner but um yeah i don't i don't even know how to answer that question like to be honest how do i deal with failure i don't i don't deal with failure i don't <laughs> you That's, don't accept it I, I can't you know i don't know what it is it's like i think it's almost do you know what it is it's my fear of failure that drives me as well half you know it was like you know you invest i, I felt like i invested so much into the project i was like I, this can't be it i've got to try again i've got to try from a different angle i was always kind of looking for another way in i guess okay and then you know it all worked out i know who would have thought <laughs> yeah it did i mean yeah the profession the persistence is such an important yeah. thing and i i think something that you've mentioned a few times as well is this whole thing of there's something that you want to see in the world that you don't see existing currently and then you just sort of decide okay i'm gonna be the one to make that happen which is i guess you might call that a, the vision of a director or something i don't know i think it's it, it probably it probably is but i think it's really easy for me to identify that now looking back i think hindsight is 2020 so at the time i was just i don't i don't know like i was very young and naive and i didn't know what i was getting myself into at the time and it was you know, it was a great project and it was a great journey very tough at times but um you know very happy that we persisted especially for all the team because this was my kind of first you know real film outside of college so a lot of people who I really looked up to and respected, who, you know, our amazing DOP, Albert Huey, our composer, James Latimer. It was like, you know, tr doing something for all of us. So I'm, I'm just so happy that we can all kind of be proud of this film in the end, when sometimes you're kind of, especially I think when you're doing a documentary, you feel like you're looking into a black hole. You think, will there ever be an end? Yeah, and e even with the project that is relatively short in terms of runtime, like you've said it yourself, there was four other people that were filmed within it. There, so much goes into it. It's almost like you're seeing a trailer for, you know, a much. You only get the very 
cream makes it to the top and makes it onto the screen at the end but the amount of work that has to go in in the behind the scenes is massive but i think also though with the best films that are made you can kind of tell that so much more was done behind the scenes like you could tell that the time had been spent the respect was there the understanding was there with the um with Sinead so it was brilliant to see that on screen and say it's a great film yeah it's funny because you know I look at it and it looks like such a nice little piece but like the amount of hours we shot that did not even make it close to the screen you know we were I remember once me and uh, Albert were shooting with Sinead in the middle of the night I think we shot all night long this entire sequence because we kind of cover an assault scene in the film we spent so many hours shooting it I don't think we even put one shot of that in the film you know um, and it's just it is kind of crazy how much can kind of end up in the on the on the cutting floor at the end of the day it is but it also takes the bravery to be able to just say oh yeah uh, sorry Albert uh, sorry Sinead uh, all that you know it was, it was it was part of what made the final piece but it's not even if it's not there at all but I feel like yeah. it takes a good bit of bravery to be able to let's say in inverted commas throw out so much work but never be afraid to kill your babies it's an important one it is yeah, yeah. Um, if there was any advice you would give to you from five years ago <laughs> what would I give to myself um, I don't know I honestly I don't know if I give myself any advice maybe see I think looking back on it I've, I've learned so much from it so it's kind of tough to kind of look back but maybe like I wish maybe I did a paper edit I remember we did a first interview I wish I did more of a, a paper edit of our first interview because I think that would have guided us a lot more into what we needed to shoot next on the film if that makes sense okay and could you explain what a paper edit is yeah so basically it's kind of like so you would do an initial interview with your subject and you would basically break down the key points of your subject story and then you'd break that into a structure for your film so then you kind of once you do a key interview ask them a bunch of questions you know whatever interests you about their life you're then taking that and molding that into a story for your film i guess and i wish i had done maybe a, a, a better paper edit but because I, I kind of i went into it so blind i knew so little and maybe as well probably i would have i think it would have benefited a lot from maybe reaching out and meeting up with other filmmakers at the time who were documentary makers or you know people who i kind of um work I admired contacting them and asking for a little bit of guidance because I just was like doing everything and anything I could to do the film and I wish maybe I had a little bit more of an idea of how to approach it better so I wasn't kind of maybe chasing a bunch of dead ends that didn't end up anywhere you know sure okay and then um so uh will call me mommy be a screening does it have more screenings or will it be online or do you know a uh, where people can see it or will be able to see it if they would like to check it out. Yes, so it will be coming out eventually. And um, we're still kind of figuring out at the moment where exactly it's going to live. But we, we have at the moment four festivals coming up for the film, which is great. So it's still doing a bit of a festival circuit, which is very exciting. And then, you know, it's going to be exciting to just finally have it out online and for the world to kind of finally see the finished thing. So, um, yeah, I'd say that'll that'll happen in the next couple of months. Cool, excellent. So then, so you, there is uh, Call Me Mommy, but then you're also still uh, working 
away as a creative director would that be the correct title for our i suppose you're in-house creative maybe with well i'd be i'd be an in-house director in-house director yeah 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 Yeah. so So, but it is kind of a weird profession as well because not a lot of directors are in-house so it is kind of hard to define that role but it's um yes i i I do work full-time still in motherland as a as a director um but you know so i would do kind of commercials with them but also kind of I'm, i'm looking to develop call me mommy into a narrative at the moment okay very good like i've always sort of wondered what is the being an in-house director would the would the company be contacted by clients with pitches and then you would be pitching in-house or how how do those processes work because i think most directors that aren't in those positions they might be finding film funds and aligning themselves with production companies and then trying to get funded as things go on but does it work differently um when you're in-house or I think that side of things is relatively the same. Like you'd have clients and agency would contact Motherland directly looking, you know, to see what kind of director would suit their project the best. So I think it's great. But, you know, I'm not just directing with them. I would kind of work behind the scenes in doing their social media and other sorts or other types of brand development within the company would be what I would do there. So, you know, you're kind of because you're not directing 24 7 you know that's not going to happen you kind of get jobs that come in so it's kind of it's it's also a nice break to be able to move between different things and and kind of uh do a variety but um no no they've been Mullins are you know incredibly supportive as well in the film aspect that's something that is kind of being developed there at the moment we just got slate funding to develop new projects which is brilliant so there's kind of a mix of things happening there at the moment Okay, excellent. And I, I feel like you, you've been working incredibly hard and been pretty much on 110% for quite a while now. But uh, yeah, like what, what's what's the last year or so been like? Or I know you had to take a bit of time out of work there if you're willing to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, burnout is a very real thing, Luke, I have realised. So, no, I did, I had an accident, I had an injury, and I think it really kind of woke me up to what the word burnout is. You know, I think I've always felt kind of like quite lucky and fortunate to be doing what I do, Um, you know, as a, as a, as a film director. I think it's, it's, I still find it weird to call myself that sometimes. Um, And it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I think I got into a rhythm of kind of like, ignoring my body and just pushing through especially when you're doing a kind of a self-funded project like call me mommy you've just gotta you've gotta put you gotta put your whole self into it you know if you don't nobody else will you're the director nobody really nobody else really cares about your project except you and i think i'm, I'm very aware of that as well that you know it's kind of you know it, it takes it takes a lot of your your heart and soul when you're when you're doing a film um and yeah i kind of i, I burnt out collapsed had this accident ended up in hospital couldn't work for you know a couple months which i think when you're trying to push through burnout um and you do and you end up having an accident like take a break you know what i mean is what i learned is like having a week off is a lot better than having to take five months off which is what i did so it's i'm kind of coming back to work now and uh, full whack which is very nice i thought i'd love the break i thought i'd love you know you're kind of so busy and you're kind of thinking oh, i'd love a couple of months off not great it's not fun <laughs> you know because you kind of you have this existential crisis like will i ever work again is this gonna you know you're going you go through 
so many different thoughts when you have an accident like that of you know what your life will be post accident so i think it was on one hand it was very scary uh, experience but at the same time i think it was a great wake-up call because you think okay i can't live my life like that anymore yeah well work-life balance kind of thing yeah just... i learned it in a very hard way <laughs> <laughs> very much so it's it, it i think it one of the things that i think often comes up everyone within this industry i feel like most people live very varied lives or everyone's experience of this industry is different everyone's way of going about it everyone's sensibilities but then it means that often you're kind of forging your own paths in a lot of ways and then you're sort of setting your own standards for how to get things done but there might also be a bit of a race as well like you always feel like you need to be getting more stuff done getting it done faster better quicker and it's sort of a yeah there's a lot of pressure in that kind of direction huge and i think i think any person who's kind of you know up and coming or, or starting out their career or anyone who's established feels that constantly and again that kind of brings me back to social media like you're always being reminded on social media of the things that you're not doing or the things you're not achieving and it's so toxic i mean like i would absolutely love to just delete my instagram and just not look at it for a year like it it can really consume you you know and it has consumed me um especially when you're working on things that's like two years long and you're talking about your film that's going to be released in two years and people are outputting content every couple of months and, you know it's like i was like okay you know good luck with your film tower you know what i mean so it's like it's i think it's 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 um it's something that i'm trying to even work on myself is just like not compare yourself to other people's work because everyone is very much in their own path everyone is very much doing their own thing but you know you can be very much blinded by the social media tunnel yeah i get that i think especially over covid where social media was the one place that you really saw other people interacting like i i Feel like i now try and put as much effort as possible to be interacting with people in real life not instead of just seeing things through social media because it does create a or what was the whole thing of a, a you see your behind the scenes but everyone else shows you their showreel kind of thing you know and at the same time like i think as great as it is for me saying i want to get off social media i think that's all i'm also being very delusional by saying that because i you know the way the world is going we're going to end up much more on social media like you know we're going to live our lives a lot more on social media i think that's the way the world's going so we're, our lives are becoming more and more integrated like we're trying to separate ourselves from those social media but kids 10 years younger than us like that's their lives but they're integrated to social media so i don't think it's ever a thing that you can escape i don't think it's something that we're going to be able to escape not right now i don't think um so i guess it's like figuring out a way to i don't know if it's like managing the accounts you follow or the the type of content you intake i guess that's for me is like the type of content i intake that i want to just be tiktoks about you know food or you know different 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 silly tricks you know it's like how can i switch up my algorithm i think is what i'm trying to be more conscious of because i know i'm not going to get off my phone you know anytime soon i don't think we will so um yeah i guess it's i think i'm, I'm trying to be clever about the thing that the impending doom of social media <laughs> never going away how can i how can i play that you know yeah well make a documentary about it <laughs> documentary oh god yeah uh, that, that, that will be a very long-term a uh, very long-term project um well we'll begin to sort of wrap up but um i suppose as a final question is there if you were 
if you were put in a classroom with, let's say, a first years from IDT and told, you know, give give your sort of words of wisdom or thoughts or what 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 information might be helpful. Is there anything you think that you would have to say? I think if I've learned anything about anything is that, you know, talent is one percent and persistence is ninety nine point nine percent. You know, I think people can be very afraid. I think especially women can be very afraid to ask for things and push a vision, push an idea. But I think you should never be afraid to kind of fully execute what you want to execute, you know, um, to put your stamp on things, to be persistent, to read, to learn, to always look at other films, always look at other content, you know, because one thing I realized when I was doing Call Me Mommy is that, you know, whatever idea I had, someone has probably thought up that idea and done it 10 times better than me. So I remember trying to watch like two short docs a day for like a year to prep for Call Me Mommy. Um, and that was huge. It was a huge, huge help for me, just really educating myself in what I wanted to do. So I think it would be a combination of just being persistent with your vision educating yourself and what you want to do um and as well like putting yourself out there and connecting yourself with people outside your circle reach out to that dop you want to work with you know that you think is out of your reach because you never know who's going to get back you never know who's going to say yeah sure i'll do that thing with you so you know just keep um keep being delusional and you know do and, and just putting yourself out there because it will work eventually yeah i think that's great advice and hey yeah, um, thank you so much, Tara, for coming on to the show uh, today and best of luck on <laughs> whatever comes next. Thanks for having me, Luke.